want to just share just one quick thing before we just move on into the service, and that is that, you know, it's been, well, I think Freedom Church just turned, well, I don't think I know, but Freedom Church just turned 13 in April, so 13 years old. So, hey, we're teenagers, that's right. That, that'll, that'll cause you to wring your hands, right? But uh, it, it's awesome. And, you know, I remember when, when we came here, one of the things, those years ago, one of the things that the Lord really had laid on our heart, and that is this, we know that God is calling us to reach college students, but the interesting thing about it is that we knew that Mary and I knew that we were not going to be a part of that, having the hands-on ministry. Actually, in our previous church, Mary had led the college ministry. But we knew coming here that was not going to be the case. And so over the years, God has sent such incredible people to lead that ministry. For the last eight years, Mark and Danielle Erickson and Ravi, all right, have been, have been a part of it, and they've been leading, uh, and you know them well. Uh, now God has called Mark and Danielle uh, to Northview Church as a church in Fargo. They're going to be uh, work with the youth as well as in the area of connections. And so I thought, you know, they have led so well. It's so exciting uh, of, of just what God has done through their ministry. Uh, I know Josiah and Kinsey are going to be stepping into this role immediately and so we're really praying excited for them and all that god has uh, for chi alpha but i just i just wanted to to uh, invite mark to come and just to share with us this morning so would you welcome mark erickson well hello am i good am i on awesome thank you pastor nathan well you guys you already know you have incredible pastors here right Yes, I have learned so much just from watching, from learning, and from, I actually meet with Pastor Nathan every other week, um, and I call him the pastor of my soul, uh, because he has to deal with my hard questions of like, okay, so this is what my family is like, this is what ministry is like, how do I do both of these well? And so you guys have amazing pastors. I even just want to pray blessing over them, is that okay? I'm going to try all of it together here, one second. Yes, just thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much just for what this house has done, for Chi Alpha and all the college students we've reached because of this church. And I just pray that it doesn't slow down, that we see more students come to know Jesus after Danielle and I leave them there ever we're reached during my time. I pray that we leave a legacy where our name is always forgotten and Jesus always remembered. In your name, amen. Okay, let's see if we can get through this. Sound good? I thought I was done crying. Mm. I need more of the coffee. That'll help. Um, well, guys, I have the privilege of talking to you on the, the last message on the empowerment series. And if you've been with us at all, we're talking about uh, empowerment. Because see, being a follower of Jesus uh, doesn't mean we just get saved and everything's okay. Uh, we like to say Jesus didn't just die to save us. He died to make us dangerous. Uh, dangerous against the devil, dangerous against the forces of darkness, because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, uh, and now he gave that responsibility to the church, and the church is you and me. And we're supposed to go and to not only be free ourselves, but to help other people be free, to live in freedom. So it's an amazing privilege. I, I like to think with this mindset, I, I owe the world an encounter with God. Uh, we owe the world an encounter with God, because God in his grace has encountered us and now we need to share this encounter with, with other people so that they can walk in freedom as well. And that's this whole thing with empowerment. Um, I love, I, I did not grow up in a church that, that preached these things. I grew up in a church that, yes, taught me 
what the love of Jesus meant, uh, saving a relationship with Jesus. But uh, I think it was a few weeks ago we talked on the gifts of the Spirit. How many of you were here for that? Could you get a... How many of you, that was their first time hearing the gifts of the Spirit preached at church? Okay, a couple. Sweet. I was just like you. When I first heard that, I'm like, oh, wait, we're one of those wacky churches. We believe in those crazy things. Uh, just to be honest with you, I, I was rolling with Chi Alpha, which is an Assemblies of God ministry. This is an Assemblies of God church. And I loved my Chi Alpha friends, but then when they started talking about the gifts of the Spirit, how they would pray for sick people and they would... Uh, they would speak or pray in tongues, and I'm like, oh, great, I joined a cult, fantastic, uh, just being honest. And then I started to read my Bible, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's in the Bible. Okay, at least, at least they're just Bible weird. They're not just weird weird. Um, and it, it honestly helped to see it in the Bible, because I knew to trust the Bible. And so if, if any time I'm talking with someone where they don't believe this stuff, I'm like, hey, let's start with the Scripture, and let's go there. And so the more I studied the scripture, the more I became convinced that this was something for me. And a part of the gifts of the Spirit, which are amazing, a part of the baptism in the Spirit, uh, something I, I really felt happen in my life was this, this shift of, of holiness that happened in my life. And so with this thing of empowerment, part of the power, yes, is, is the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, it's the baptism in the Spirit. You receive a, a prayer language, speaking in tongues. You can pray in tongues every day. I highly encourage you to do that. I do the same thing. But a part of the fruit of being empowered is living holy, is, is living different than the world. And I'm, I'm not saying that you can't do that without the baptism in the Spirit. There is just, in my life, there was a difference between Mark that just got saved and then Mark baptized in the Spirit. It didn't, it didn't make me better than anybody. It just made me a better me. And, and that's the kind of context I want to talk out of today. And I, I think this is something that the world sees a difference of, but then we also notice in our own life, because maybe you are like me, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I thought the desire to sin was just going to go away. And if anything, I found out it was like uh, telling a kid to not take any cookies from the cookie jar. It was like, oh, now I know I can't have it. Now that's what I want. And so I was like, man, why do I still want to sin? I thought I gave my life to Jesus. I thought I was changed. I thought I was a new creation. Why do I still want to sin? What is up with this? And there, there is that whole trichotomy of body, soul, spirit. That's not the, soul, the message today. Um, but what really, again, changed me was this whole baptism in the spirit thing. I don't know what exactly changed besides I seem to have more power, more authority over things that were caught in my mind where it's in 2 Corinthians 10.5, I believe, where it says we should take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. Because my, my sin wasn't something that always manifested out here. But boy, if you could read my mind, you'd be like, dude, that guy's messed up. And, and I was. <laughs> I was. And I still have to rein in those thoughts. But what's helped me is anytime I have a thought that isn't obedient to Jesus, I'm just like, well, that's from the pit of hell. And I'll start praying in tongues. Or I'll just start rehearsing scripture in my mind. And for some reason, that got easier for me after I was baptized in the Spirit. Um, but I, I really like this Christian apologist. He passed away a few years ago. But uh, just to throw some, we maybe notice the difference in like our walk of like, man, why do I still sin? Why am I still tempted? But the world notices this too. Uh, this guy, he was witnessing to a man. He was a Hindu man. And he writes this in his book. I'm going to read it verbatim. He says, I remember well in the early days of my Christian faith talking to a Hindu man. He was questioning the strident claims of the followers of Christ as being something supernatural. 
or empowered. He absolutely insisted conversion was nothing more than a decision to lead a more ethical life, which I think a lot of people tend to think. And that in most cases, it was not any different to those claims of other ethical religions. So far, his argument was not anything new. But then he said something I have never forgotten and often reflect upon. If this conversion or giving our life to Jesus is truly supernatural, why is it not more evident in the lives of so many Christians I know? And I, I love that question. I'm going to read it one more time. If this conversion, this giving my life to Jesus is truly supernatural, why is it not more evident in the lives of so many Christians? I heard it once said that there's actually five gospels, not four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then your life. People are watching how you live. And so they, they might not necessarily see you walk in the gifts of the Spirit, you know, day one. Maybe they hopefully eventually will. But they're seeing the fruit of your life. They're seeing you walk in holiness. You know, and I, I think oftentimes, especially over the last, what, two, three years, uh, Christians are more noted for what we hate than what we love. And if, especially on social media, anybody? Uh, and if people could really see the love, the holiness of Jesus on followers of Christ, I think this Hindu man would understand that Jesus is real, that the supernatural is evident on his people. And so we're going to kind of talk through some things of how God's grace, it doesn't just save you, but God's grace, it empowers you and it changes you. And it's just like a, a prescription. My dad, actually, uh, he might be watching. So, hey, hi, Dad. Hi, Jeff. Good to see you. Um, he's got a flare-up of arthritis in, in his arm. And we were all like kind of, he's, he's sorry, Dad. You're, he's getting old. You know, it's hard. He's a, he's a farmer, and he's, farmers do hard things for a long time. And so I think they age a little faster than most. And so he's got heart things, got a shoulder thing. And now uh, his arm, like he's broken it. Oh, th two or three times in his whole life, I forget which. One was a farming accident. Okay, not a farming accident. One, <laughs> sorry, this is just too funny of a story. Uh, my dad was, I think they were playing in a barn, um, and there was a big rope swing, and dad broke his arm when he was a little kid, but his older brothers knew that they'd be in trouble if dad broke his arm, and so they were like, don't tell mom and dad, don't tell mom and dad. So he didn't tell mom and dad. And so his arm broke and healed wrong, <laughs> yeah, tough little kid, right? Uh, and anyway, so then they, it rebroke later because it didn't heal right. So then when he was 24, he finally got surgery and it fixed it. But so that same arm was having arthritic flare-up. And we, we didn't know that at the time. We we're like, oh, man, did his like, metal in his arm break? What's going on? So we actually took him from Roseau to uh, Grand Forks here to talk to a, oh, I forget the kind of surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, I think. Uh, but the orthopedic surgeon saw his arm, did the things, and just said, oh, it's just an arthritic flare-up. All you have to do is do what we've prescribed you to do and take a leave once in the morning, once at night. And dad isn't so great at taking the prescription <laughs> the way he's supposed to. And the reason why I'm sharing that story with you is God has given us grace, but if we don't take his prescription like we're supposed to, we're going to have an arthritic flare-up. We're not going to walk the life of Christ the way we're supposed to. And so when Jesus said he is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a way. Any Mandalorian fans out there? This is the way. There is a way to following Jesus that leads you to live a life of holiness and not a life of sin. And so we got to get with this way. I often talk with the college students about this. 
you kind of maybe hear this of like, oh, living for Jesus is just a bunch of rules. I'm like, of course. <laughs> yes, it is. Relationships have rules. If you don't believe me, if you have a significant other, go and kiss somebody else to see how that goes. You, get, you guys get it. You get it. All relationships have rules, so let's just get aware of that. Oh, it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. Relationships have rules. Let's, let's just get over that. Um, so anyways, that was all almost a part of my notes. Somewhat. But this whole thing of empowerment, God gives us grace to not only save us, but he wants to change us. I think if God, I kind of tried to write this first person, so assuming I'm going to speak on his behalf, I guess I kind of am in a way, but I've given grace to save you and change you is what I think he would really want you to understand for the sermon today. So if you only take one thing down, one thing you remember, remember that. God has given you grace to save you, yes, but also to change you, to empower you. We see this actually in Titus 2, 11 through 14. It says this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All people can be saved. Thank you, Lord. But it doesn't stop there. It, so it is grace of God. It, or God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So who is our great teacher? It is grace. And that grace empowers us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. And so if there's ever this like, oh, I don't know if I have the power. If you're saved, you got the power. Come on. We could all do that. Isn't that some song somewhere? Man, the things that come through my brain when I preach, I tell you, it's crazy. But now on to the part of how we apply this grace, because it's like in the the last verse in Colossians 1, where the Apostle Paul says, I continue to toil and struggle with with all of God's grace that powerfully works within me. You have to do the toiling and struggling part, and God's going to do the, give you the grace, the empowerment to put it all together. It's just like how we got created. We're just, uh, we're just dust, and God breathed life, and so we got to do the dust part. We got to do the normal, natural part. God's going to do the super part. That makes it supernatural. See what we did? Sweet. So there's a part you get to play. Here's what you need to do to per, uh, do the prescription that God has called you to do. And honestly, you could probably do a bunch of different lists, but this is the list that has helped me, so I'm going to give it to you. So if you want to live a life of holiness to be truly empowered, uh, the first thing you need to do is identify as a saint. Identify as a saint. Um, And just a little background on this. You know, I, I didn't grow up in Catholicism. I grew up in Lutheran. And whenever I heard that word saint, or even a, it was kind of like a, a phrase that people just throw, well, I'm no saint. Um, or people would picture this whole, like, St. Peter or St. Joseph. That's, like, not what I'm talking about here. Um, if you got questions on Catholicism, we can talk after. That'd be fine. I don't know how helpful I'm going to be, but I can try. But when someone gives their life to Jesus, they're, they're no longer a sinner. And I know sometimes that's, like, a, a shocking thing. See, it, it's, we, we sometimes have a bumper sticker Christianity and then we have biblical Christianity. I, I'd go so far as to say that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's like bumper sticker Christianity slogan. It sounds all nice and great, but if you have an understanding of the New Testament, 
you understand that we become different. We become a new creation when we give our life to Jesus. And so the reason why this is such a big deal for me, whether it's sports uh, or if I'm just having a bad attitude in the day, a lot of my battle starts right here. It starts in my head. What I think affects what I say. What I think, what I say affects how I live. And so if I identify, no, I'm a holy one. I have been saved by grace. I'm empowered by God's grace. I don't have to look at that porn on that whatever it is device now that we have it everywhere. I don't have to choose those things because I think saved. That's where I think it's even funny in the Ephesians 6, the, the armor of God, helmet of salvation. We can think saved. And so if we start to identify as saints, it, it affects the way we think. And just so you know, I'm not like throwing something crazy out there. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, he's a pastor. I think it's on the East Coast now. But uh, he says it kind of like this. There is something else you need to understand if you're to fully appreciate the truth of living as a saint. Although many believers do not know this, if you are saved, you are no longer a, a sinner, nor should you think of yourself merely as a saved sinner. According to the scriptures, sinners are the enemies of God, whereas his people are called saints or holy ones. In other words, it is one thing to sin and repent, even as a believer, it is another thing to be a sinner. Now hear this. It is one thing to do something bad and then correct it. It is another thing to be bad. It is one thing to think an adulterous thought and it turn from it immediately. It is another thing to be an adulterer. I was a heavy drug user. So this is his testimony for a moment. I was a heavy drug user. I was a rebellious snob. I was a filthy sinner. Now I'm a saint imperfect. This is, you'll find lots of these things in the kingdom of God. It's like two opposites being held together. He's a saint imperfect, but nonetheless radically transformed and wonderfully changed. Sin is no longer the rule of my life. It's the exception to the rule. My habit is now to live for God, whereas before I knew him, my habit was to sin. And so again, what I'm trying to communicate to you is uh, it's like driving lessons. I don't know if this is what your driving instructor told you, but if you're doing like that, that cone course, if you had that, if you focus on the cone, the cone, the object you're not trying to hit, where do you tend to go? To the cone. <laughs> and so if you, I'm just a sinner, you're gonna kind of live that way continuously. But if you can focus in your mind the way of Jesus, that just sounds like Hebrews 12, 1, aren't, aren't we talking? Keep your mind focused on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, and he becomes your righteousness and you'll walk in holiness. And so don't focus on the cone, don't focus on being a sinner, because you'll, you'll just stay that way. But if you focus on Jesus, you'll walk in power and you'll walk different. And just for a little more icing on the cake, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, uh, this talks about how the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, how they are, their whole job is to equip the who. Can you read it out loud for me? Uh-oh, it didn't finish. Did I only put 11? Did I not put 12? Oh, there it is. To equip his people for the works of service. Oh, did I screw that up? Go back one more. <laughs> Pastors and prophets. Ah, I must have screwed that up. I'm going to read it in my translation up here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of his ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. And so if you and I aren't saints, who in the world is doing the work of the church? My friends and family, you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint according to the scriptures. Put that in your mind, put that in your heart, and begin to walk in it. It'll change your life. 
The next thing I wanna say with applying God's grace to your life is point number two is choose your hard. Choose your hard. This is totally off of Instagram. So if you're, dude, sometimes Instagram can preach. Sometimes it's really bad and really dumb. Um, but wow, this time, I, I loved it. Kyle, for students, you've heard me talk on this point before, so deal with me. But in 2 Timothy 1.7, this isn't part of Instagram, even though it should be. Uh, it says, for the spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And in some translations, it says power, love, and a sound mind. But I, I love that part of, of self-discipline because, uh, again, I kind of think my old thought was like, okay, now that I give my life to Jesus, he's magically just going to get rid of all my stuff. And for some people, that does happen. And that's amazing. I rejoice with those stories. And I'm like, woo, you got struck by, I don't know, Jesus lightning, and now you're different. Awesome. Um, my kind of story is like, yeah, in some realms that happened. But uh, Pastor Jared and I talked about this before. When you pray for an oak tree, God often gives you an acorn. And it takes time. And it takes time. That's this whole thing of sanctification, growing in holiness. Um, and that's what I've seen God do. And that's where that, that self-discipline thing, like if you want to live change, it's a choice you got to make every day. I like to say, if I want to live for Jesus, I got to kill the monster of me every morning. So you meet Jesus in the morning. There's my soapbox for meeting him in the morning. But the whole choose your heart, here's the Instagram part. Uh, it said in this post, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your heart. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your heart. Life will never be easy. It will always be hard. But we can choose our heart. Now choose wisely. And now, I just want to make sure, though, that we're not making this like a self-reliant self-discipline, though. Remember, when I'm saying all those things, I'm saying it with the backdrop of we're empowered by God's grace. And so I think sometimes we look like, oh, I'm going to choose. And what we end up doing is we kind of white-knuckle our choice. We're like, I'm going to choose holiness. And I tend to think it's more like if we were to all go dip in the beautiful, clean Red River over there that's so clear. You can see to the bottom. Maybe don't go swim in it. Don't do that. Um, it's almost like instead of like, like white knuckling, I'm going to swim against the current. It's just like kind of surrendering to the current and like, okay, I'm, I'm with your grace, Lord Jesus. And then he takes you where you should go. Because if you go with the current, you're never going to end up on the bank. You're just going to stay right in the middle. The current's going to take you all the way to the end. You get in the lake of salvation. How's that sound? I didn't plan that one. How about lake of heaven? Does that sound better? Now new heavens, new earth. Now we've really arrived. And just encouragement on this, on choosing your heart. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Um, I think this is, it's, I think it's a lot of people's temptation, but especially at night when you're lonely when you're isolated, like that's, man, if we could talk about when the devil wants to attack, he's like the wolf among the sheep. What does he try to, how do, how do wolves attack sheep? They try to isolate the weak ones, right? And then they attack the weak one. And that's totally what happens when it's at night and we're alone. We're tempted to do things maybe we would never be tempted to do if we were around people. 
And I just want to encourage you in those times, latch on to a scripture like this of like, man, I'm feeling super tempted right now, but I have a choice in this moment. And sometimes we don't like that. We don't like the fact that we choose what we're doing. We're like, well, God, I'm just addicted to this. You know, maybe there's some truth there because there's stuff I'm not, that's not on my pay grade to talk about, let's be honest. But we, in the end, have a choice of what we do with our lives and our nights when we're by ourselves. I even heard a guy say it, who you are is what you do when you're by yourself. That can be a really convicting thing. But know that God's grace is there for you to choose. You can choose instead of picking up that technology device to pick up the scripture or to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. It's your choice. Point number three, read and apply the scriptures. I know, that was really creative, right? You didn't see that one coming. It was crazy. Read and apply the scriptures. Uh, this one's a little funny because I grew up in church uh, saying this most Sundays, and I had no idea what it was kind of putting in my head. But check this out. 1 John 1, 8 through 10, it reads this way. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, clen and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Stop there for a moment. I would read that most every Sunday. We do it as a congregation. We kind of declare it. And I'm not saying this is the intent of the author of 1 John, the, the Gospel of John writer. Uh, I'm not saying that was the intent. But what I just took from this is like, well, I'm going to live in sin the rest of my life. There's no questions about it. I'm just stuck like this. I just have to confess all the time. And you know, there, there is a hint of truth to that. We have to live in confession. That's going to be coming up soon. But when we only read, uh, oh, I forget his name, Paul McKnight, he says it this way. If we only read uh, a chapter of the Bible, we'll only live a chapter of a Christian life. In other words, we, have to, we should read through the whole book. The book, the Bible is meant for a people, not for a pastor, right? It, it's for all of us to, to look at. And if we only read just a chunk of scripture like that, it's like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to go off of. But if we continue going to 1 John 2, 1, look at this. It says, my little children, oh, I'm a child. Makes us all feel young, right? It's good. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Wait a moment. Is it truly possible that I may not sin? Scripture's making it sound like that. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so what I'm trying to show all of you is that when the scriptures say in Matthew, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect, he meant it. And I remember reading the Bible for the first time and looking at these, and I'm just like, well, you just take the scripture at face value. And sometimes maybe we'd be better off that way than when people start to water down and explain things. Um, because it's like, well, I don't know if that's what it actually means. But I think that's what it really means. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But remember, you can't do that by yourself. It's all on the backdrop of grace. And so what, I, what I'm trying to, again, put out here is you can't do any of this by yourself, but let's not lower the standard of holiness just because we're not applying God's grace to our lives. Cool? It's all right? If you have questions afterwards, please come talk to me. But I just want you to see, the Bible gives an expectation, a reality that we can, once we give our lives to Jesus, to stay away from sin, to say no to all forms of ungodliness, to read the scriptures so that we may not sin. And that gets us to point number four, uh, get help and be help. 
get help and be help. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Brent Dockery, thank you for being my small group leader in college, sophomore year, and drilling that into my brain. You're the man. Uh, he's a huge reason why I love Jesus. Thank you for leading a small group during college when you were an engineer, when you were courting your now wife. You were super busy, but you made time to make a disciple out of me. So thank you. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be empowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I know often that Ecclesiastes 1 is so used for weddings, but let's, let's get past just the wedding use for that. That's meant for life. You know, uh, Jesus did not, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. That's just, that's just not real. Uh, even lone ranger, he had Tonto. Come on. I don't even know if people know what that is anymore. That's old. But anyways, it's just, there's, there's too many one another commands in the scripture to do this by yourself. Uh, and especially when it comes to this walk of holiness, I don't know where this whole idea, and uh, I, I kind of do, let's just be honest, we're prideful, we don't like people to know our stuff. Uh, right now, what, what I've kind of set up with my team, and, and now it's kind of moving on, my team can know exactly where my checking account is, they can know how I'm spending my money, and, it, and my point of saying this is we got to be really vulnerable, if we want to truly live in holiness, we have to be vulnerable. And if you want to see where your heart is, see where, see where you're spending your money. And so one of the things we've kind of set up on my team is they can look at my checking account whenever they want. They can look at my computer. They can look at any of my screen history. You name it. There's no questions off limits. And now I'm not saying 100 people should have that kind of access to your life. I don't think that's healthy. But I think two, three, four, maybe five tops, that'd be getting a lot they should have that kind of access to your life so that you can be a help to them and they can be a help to you. And so whether that looks like a once a month sit down of like, hey, hey, let's look at our bank statements and let's look how we're actually spending our money because finances can put us in a big hole, can it? And so why are you bringing that up, Mark, with holiness? I, I, I wanna get us more than just thinking, oh, holiness, don't look at porn. I want us thinking holiness, how does apply to my whole life? Because God cares about the way you spend your money, the way you probably even drink your coffee, <laughs> you know, the way you drive. He, he, holiness is, is a whole thing, not just a sexual thing. Sound good? Maybe that's for my own little mind. Um, but I, I just want us to see that we need to do this together. I've even, uh, I seem to have a, I'm, I'm jokingly in my midlife crisis. I'm 32. Hopefully I live past 64. But uh, I'm just I'm just hoping. But so I'm getting into this world of CrossFit. Anybody, any CrossFitters out there? We are, oh, okay. <laughs> that was not a hit. Okay, any fitness advocates out there? Gabe, your hand better go up. We take the same protein, so, so you, know, you know we're good. The whole thing, uh, gyms and stuff, I've hated them, to be honest with you. I thought once college was done, once wrestling was done, I was gonna be fine working out by myself because I put the work in, I know how to work by myself. But just to be honest, when I worked out by myself, I did not work as hard. <laughs> I was like, I was way more willing to cheat reps. I was way more willing to, well, I know I didn't get my chin above that bar, but I was almost up there. That counts. And it was just easier to cheat when I was by myself. 
And you might be seeing where I'm going, but it's way easier to cheap or cheat and to justify yourself when you're the only one that has eyes on how you're living. And it's like, well, God understands, man. You need someone else in your life. You need someone else to help, and you need someone else to help you. And so that's just how it goes. And how that all ties into CrossFit, uh, I promise that it'll come. They, we do these things where it's like competitions, and I love and hate them because you're kind, you're kind of being vulnerable. You're seeing how you measure up against the other person. And let's just say my first exposures to CrossFit have been very humbling. There's girls that are up there doing the muscle-up things way better than me, and I'm like, man, c- c- come on. Uh, and the girl's just like making it look so, or the handstand walks, the girls just do 100 feet like it's no big deal, and I'm like, uh, uh, pff, uh, pff. and so it's very humbling. Um, but anyway, during these competitions, there's this thing called a no rep. And what a no rep is is simply you did a rep, but it's, it's no rep. It doesn't count. And it's like, well, hey, why? that's kind of mean for you to judge me that way. Why, why, why do you do that? That's, that's not nice. The reason why they, they judge us that way in practice is so that come competition day, we don't have a bunch of no reps and think we're supposed to do okay. I think you kind of see where I'm going. Because one day, you and I will face the judgment seat of Christ. Hallelujah. It's going to be a good time. There's going to be rewards given there. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see Jesus face to face. But we're all going to be judged on the same standard according to Scripture. And I kind of want to talk about this within this area of holiness because you need other followers of Jesus Jesus, to judge you. That might be weird vernacular because in Matthew 7.1, it's really funny. Uh, It says it's the most known Scripture known by people who don't read the Bible. (laughs) And it might be true because it says, do not judge. And it is absolutely right. Because in that context, it's talking about not judging hypocritically, not judging with this pompous, high character or whatever, or thinking you're better than other people. But when you're a follower of Christ, again, with those two to maybe four people, you want to judge each other with this attitude of accountability, of giving account for your God-given ability, of like, hey, we've agreed to live by holiness standards, right? And even in 1 Corinthians 5.12, the Apostle Paul hits this. He says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Yes, we are. But not in this, hi, I'm better than you kind of a way. Just this agreed to, hey, we're going to live out the Bible. Can you help me? I want to help you. Do you see the difference there? Good. Just want to make sure. So judgment belongs in the church, but not in this way of like, hey, I'm better than you. It's a, hey, I'm going to help call you higher, and you're going to help call me higher. It's a hand up instead of like a, you stink. Cool? Cool, we got it. Front row, I love you guys. Thank you. Last point, and we're going to start kind of wrapping this thing up. So if we want to apply God's grace to kind of recap some things, on worship team, you can come up at this time. If we want to apply God's grace, we have to identify as a saint, get that in our heads so that it affects our thinking, that it affects our talking, that it affects the way we live. We need to understand we need to choose our heart. We need to choose to apply God's grace to our lives. We need to choose to read and apply those scriptures because in those scriptures is the way that we may walk in holiness and not sin, the way we may walk empowered. We need to get help and be helped to other people. We need to be vulnerable with people. And then the last one is we need to confess quickly. We need to confess quickly. Uh, I've just learned if I even think I have a bad thought or I think maybe somebody misunderstood me and I offended them, it's better I just like, 
hey, are you okay? Is your heart bitter? I mean, I don't have time for bitterness. I only have time for Jesus. So can we just talk this out and, and get this going? Can we confess our sin quickly? Because I, I don't have time to live for the devil. I only want to live for Jesus. And so that's kind of my attitude with this whole thing of confessing quickly. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. And so God wants us to continue working this thing out. It's that, it's that pull-up. It's, we don't want any no reps. No reps on pull-ups stink, guys. That's just, that's no fun. You want to apply God's grace to your life. You want to confess your sin quickly so you can walk in holiness. But all of this for me, again, was so much easier once I walked empowered. And so I, I don't know where, where all of you are at today, where this whole series is of like, maybe you've given your life to Jesus, but you've noticed, man, I have this sin that keeps coming around again and again and again. And you're just like to be like, you know, Mark, I, I am so sick of it. I'm, I'm done with this sin that keeps creeping into my life. And if you'd like freedom from, freedom from that, I'm gonna pray for you soon. But remember, you, you might have the, like, the Jesus lightning experience. <laughs> you might have the, the acorn uh, to oak tree experience. But I wanna encourage you, God has promised freedom for you this side of heaven. God has promised those kinds of things for you to be able to live sin-free here. But just like Pastor Nathan talked about right away in that transition time. Nothing is impossible for God. But now you have to choose to believe that and to walk in it. And so if you'll pray with me, could I get every head bowed and every eye closed? I have just a couple questions. You know, maybe you're here, and like I said, there's that sin that keeps coming into your life. You've been living for Jesus for a while, but you're like, Jesus, I need more power. I need more help. I need more of you to get rid of this thing. I need to make that choice. And so if that's you and you'd like prayer for that in your life, could I see your hand right now long enough for me to see? Awesome, awesome. Okay, you can put those hands down. Now this one's, a, it's kind of similar. You know, maybe there's things that aren't blatant sin, but you know it's like, man, that's costing me. That's costing me time in the scripture. Maybe it's looking at your phone too much. Maybe it's worrying about your kids too much. That's possible. Trust me, I'm starting to learn that with my little kid. Whatever it is, it's not blatant sin, but it's taking you away from time with Jesus. If you can tell right now there's something coming to your mind, could you raise your hand right now, long enough for me to see? That's a lot of us, okay. You can put your hands down. Uh, this is what we're gonna do. Um, the team's gonna lead us in one worship song, and uh, you can lift your heads now. I'll ask you to stand in a moment, and you can open your eyes too, believe it or not. Uh, but ministry team, if you guys don't mind coming to the front, uh, we like to call this God's living room. There's nothing special about it besides we're just here to pray with people. We really believe in the power of prayer. And so if you want prayer for any of the things we talked about, uh, we would really love to pray for you. But if you're more comfortable praying with somebody in your seat, I would just love for everybody to get prayer that raised their hand today. And so I'm gonna pray over you like this. Worship team's gonna lead us in one song and you can respond in how you want. And after that, we'll close the service. So you can stand while I pray. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your empowerment, God. Jesus, we need more of you. God, the world is watching the church. They are looking to see, hey, are you truly different than what I'm having in the world? Or are you just some social gathering? Or are you just some club that meets weekly and maybe a couple other things? Or are we truly different? 
Do we really walk in holiness? And God, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't want someone to see my life and it to not be holy. And so Lord, I, I just pray just for myself and for my friends and family here that we really walk in your power, that we walk, yes, in the gifts of the Spirit, that we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, that we pray, we speak in tongues every day, all that stuff, but God, I pray we're so marked by holiness that people are like just drawn into it, that it's like a campfire, that when they see it, it's like, whoa, that's really cool, I wanna sit and talk by that. I pray that kind of holiness over us in Jesus' name. And so God, if there's pride, I pray that you search us, know our hearts, and that we get rid of it, because pride isn't worth hanging on to. So God, we just bring that to you in this time. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Feel free to respond in this time.